Hi, I'm Rolanda Watts, and welcome to Rolanda On Demand. In this episode, I talk with two very dear girlfriends of mine who I had no idea would end up meeting each other. Well, maybe it kind of makes sense. They're both tremendous spiritual leaders. One, Reverend Shannon White, is the pastor of a Presbyterian church in Wilton, Connecticut. Let me tell you a bit about Shannon. Shannon, I've also known since I was 13 years old. And so to be able to talk with her about faith today is going to really take us back. My first guest is Reverend Shannon White, who was ordained almost 30 years ago in the Presbyterian Church. She is now senior pastor of Wilton Presbyterian Church in Wilton, Connecticut. She's also an Emmy-nominated TV journalist and author of two books, How Was School Today? Fine, and The Invisible Conversations with Your Aging Parents. My next guest is Dr. Turlin Curry Avery, and she is the creator of Pastology. Now, what's Pastology, you may say? Well, it's the cutting edge field that focuses on synergy between pastoring and psychology. She holds a PhD from Hofstra University and a Master's of Divinity from Yale University. She calls herself a pastologist and is a transformational leader, speaker, author, and retreat leader. And that was where I met Terilyn on a mountain in India, <laughs> in Mount Tabu. I'd gone to India to deliver a speech at the uh, World Peace Summit and ended up spending 10 days on the top of Mount Abu studying meditation. And that's where I met Reverend Terilyn. So it is just so ironic to me that two dear friends from two entirely different times in my life and places would come together as two women of faith and two women of tremendous leadership. I'm so happy to be able to talk with them today. We're gonna to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement and how that's affected uh, their congregations and their purpose and uh, also how COVID-19 is affecting us, but also how we can keep the faith, babe, how we can keep hope alive, how we can keep lifting ourselves in these times of change. You're going to enjoy this conversation today here on Rolanda On Demand. It's road time. Welcome to Rolanda On Demand. I love my podcast because we not only tackle the tough issues of the day, but we deal with hot topics, celebrity interviews, and information that can help you in your business or relationships. This is Rolanda On Demand. We're about to get into a great conversation today here on Rolanda On Demand. And thank you again for following me here on YouTube. And can I also ask you to follow me on all forms of social media? I'm on, you know, all of them, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok and IG and LinkedIn. So please follow me at Rolanda Watts. Ladies, I'm so happy to have you on Rolanda On Demand. This is such an honor and I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. <laughs> So listen, this is really, uh, you know, both of you are major, major leaders in faith, but you're also two very dear friends of mine. And, and I just find it so ironic that the two of you and your works in faith and, and the leadership that you're doing as women have, have come together outside of me, but have come together and you're working together. And I thought, what a wonderful chance this would be to share a talk about faith today. Uh, and maybe a little sisterhood too, how important that is, but but faith and, and how much we need that right now. 
Ladies, what are you seeing? Is there a major change in what's happening when people are coming to you for leadership or, or is, have things, have you had to reinvent your message? What's going on <laughs> in the faith world? Caroline, you want to start? Wow. So, well, it depends on what we're talking about during this unprecedented time, right? If we're right. talking about COVID versus if we're talking about racism, because right. as from where I stand, I think we're going through two, um, you know, pandemics. Mm -hmm. So within my church community, which is also, well, it's in Springfield, but we're a part of the same uh, Presbytery um, uh, organization. And so uh, what I'm finding is when COVID hit, I had to do a lot of discussion around let's how do we maintain our faith in getting through this very, very difficult time because people are scared. They don't know what's going to happen. Folks are dying. Uh, folks in church and other churches are still saying, let's have service. So then I had to preach on that, why we shouldn't be having, you know, service in a building. So the preaching in some sense uh, was really about living the faith that we talk about all the time. How do we get through difficult times? Believing um, in, in this God that we say that we believe in. But I've also found that even in my business, having to talk to people about just keeping that faith journey. And in terms of the pandemic of racism, that the, the conversation we've been having in our churches for a long time, we continue to have them. Uh, what I have found for me, and Shannon can attest to this since I just did a sermon for her church, is a call for me as an African-American minister to call on uh, white folks in this pandemic of racism to really step up to the plate. So it's, it's been some changes that I've had to do a little bit over time, but some have remained the same. And it's been my voice for years. So I'm doing what I love to do and what I'm called to do. It's interesting that um, that this, whether you're right, the two pandemics that we're dealing with, it's interesting how it's also calling out the gifts of people um, that, that's, that, you know, like you said, you're continuing the talk that you've done. Now it really has some gravitas because of what's going on. I find that I talk about reinvention all the time. Now it really has some gravitas because of what people are going through. Shannon, what are you finding in, in, your, in your fellowship and in your church? So I'm seeing a couple of things. Number one, every pastor that I know had to go pretty much overnight to doing things in person to online, which was a huge stressor for so many folks um, because the technological piece wasn't necessarily in place. So that's actually been a huge benefit, but it's required, people don't realize the amount of weight that that's put on pastors because we didn't necessarily have those technology committees in place. So I have a TV background as well. So that it was, thank goodness for that, because I have produced and reported on, t on television. So um, that actually was a helpful background for me. Uh, but nevertheless, it came in, in handy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and telling stories, right, yeah. on camera. So yeah, you would know about that, Ro. Um, but what I'm seeing is that this, the, so the pandemic of COVID has been the great equalizer, right? It's made everyone have to stop and see the amount of powerlessness that we are all living in, that um, we can't go and do the things that we thought we could do. And for those of us, and I'm in a pretty white upper middle class community, um, that has stopped people in their tracks. And it's been really interesting. So we've talked a lot about 
Um, what do you do when you feel powerless? And the spiritual piece for me is that we really all have to ground ourselves in a different kind of spiritual power versus the power that we have out in the world. Um, and really power is all an illusion anyway. So to kind of get that sense of groundedness um, is really, has really been important. And people, you know, their, their jobs have been at risk. Their health has been at risk. Their, their sense of safety, you know, and Maslow's and, hierarchy and what, of needs. From what I understand, relationships, there, there's yes. tons of relationships that are breaking up right now. And, listen, my husband is a therapist. And he, uh, the, you're lucky and you're locked up with a therapist. <laughs> I know, but he's talked to a lot of couples about, you know, with all the togetherness, oh my goodness, it's really causing things. But then about the, the pandemic of racism. So, you know, it's been very interesting for me as a person who's been interested in race relations for a long time and seeing the injustices against black and brown people to be in a community that's largely white and to encourage that conversation and you know, to see the reluctance oftentimes, Tara Lynn, you talked about this, of people when when they don't have to look at the differences because they can kind of be off in their cozy corners. I mean, why should someone talk about white privilege when there's nothing to push up against that? So to really consider, and then now that that anti-racist trainings and conversations are being held on a regular basis, why it's important for white people to do their homework first before we expect any person of color to come into conversation with us, because it's our job to be schooled first before we engage others and not to expect people of color to teach us. Thank you, Shannon. And you know something, <laughs> and you know with all transparency, Shannon and I have known each other since we were 13 years old. <laughs> and growing up in, in, in sometimes, you know, I was the only black in my school and there were times when Shannon and my friend saw like at that time we went to a country club, we couldn't do a party because they wouldn't let the blacks in. And my friend stood up and said, then we're not gonna go. She's got, she gets to go too. And so I always had that support. And Shannon, you were one of my best friends and one of my biggest supporters. But I, I you know, it's, it's so, I, I, I don't think that we have seen the, the, the division the way that we've seen it in our lifetime until now, which is just yes. shocking. I mean, even for black folks, some of us have not even seen that, that level of, of spewing. And, you know, it's just shocking on everybody in a you know, yeah, I think it's, it's probably just been underneath the surface is what it is. Right. And so now right. there's this opportunity to raise it up because as people of color, we've talked about racism all the time and folks will say, oh, you're just making that up. In fact, I read a post today uh, on Facebook where someone was saying, uh, we have to stop being victims. And I really wanted to just to get on there and respond to this issue of being a victim. And I wanted to say, look, I have a PhD and I have three master's degrees, but I still get discriminated against. That's not playing victim. It didn't stop me from accomplishing. But what I think that folks need to understand that as people of color, there's an extra 25% of stress we carry. And that research has shown this by simply being of color in this world. And that's something that white people don't understand, but the conversation is great these days. This eruption that we've had, where we've had to focus on racism has really caused a lot of people to sit back and go, wait a minute, that's what you've been talking about all the time. And I was in my bubble and I didn't see it. And Shannon, I think it's so ironic that right before the pandemic, you and I were in a meeting where we were talking about 
racism in our our presbytery and how we were going to have these conversations. So I think that the timing is right. It's perfect for us to do the work. How is the conversation going? Because there's so much reluctance. There's so much pain and shame. It's so difficult, particularly, I think, for white people to talk about racism. How do you lay the foundation so that it's it's palatable and it's comfortable and it's educable? I don't know if it's I don't know if it's palatable. <laughs> I don't think it needs to be palatable. Right. Because Carolyn, it I don't know. Comfortable. <laughs> right. So, it shouldn't so I, be. I will say, so I do a lot of training in this area. It's one of the things, uh, Rolanda, that I thought I could just put down and go on and do the other work I want to do on the wounds of religion, but I can't because it keeps rearing its ugly head. And so what I've actually found is that um, in the business world, because I'm also a coach, that I've found that the people that I am in business with, they're very open to the conversation. And Shannon, even within our denomination, I feel like there are people who are open. So what I do when I'm training is that I have to give people a bit of history of this country and really walk them through a process. I don't believe that you start a training out telling people that they have white privilege because they aren't ready to hear that yet if they've never heard it before. So what's happening in this country is people are hearing it for the first time again. Like they're like, oh, I've been living in this bubble and I didn't know. And I'm like, <laughs> well, I do. But, but so you can't start training folks by hitting them over the head. It has to be a process. And so when I offer my classes, that's what I do is really take the veil off one step at a time. And it's about personal transformation not about looking at what the other person did, because we have to look at how we've all been a part of the system and how we've all perpetuated this system. And so I think it's step-by-step step that we do and, it. And Reverend Shan, you say it doesn't, we're not here to make people comfortable. This is, this no. is, it and, is what and it is. And actually, I think my role in my white congregation, I mean, we do have some families of color, but not many. Um, my role is kind of to be more forceful. And, you know, I don't, I, I have a different vantage point, right? And so in some ways, being, having to preach without getting the feedback necessarily is a good thing. Because mm -hmm. I don't know what people, if they're disgusted with what I'm preaching or not. <laughs> but I'm, I'm tempering, I'm, I'm kind of doing, depending on what the scripture is. I'm doing, I'm doing some, uh, you know, focused on the Psalms of, oh my God, you know, how do I manage through this? Because there are a lot, of, you know, I've had some deaths in my congregation. Mm -hmm. and people that are suffering tremendously. And then also at the same time, you know, I organized our local um, Black Lives Matter march. And so we had this tremendous gathering in the middle of the time when everybody came masked. And, you know, so there was, an, and there was some, some, some backlash even in the clergy of should we even be um, gathering, you know, were we putting people at risk? And so, you know, it's all of, an interesting kind of thing. So it's a heck of a um, time to be a leader right oh, now, isn't it? My goodness. I don't think you're going to please anybody all the time anyway, but this is definitely showing that. Are you finding that, Terlyn? I don't find that I worry about it. So I, about, <laughs> I speak very boldly about it. And so I want to be sure to say that even in my classes, people are going to be uncomfortable. This is not a feel good in the way I market those classes it's marketed to a certain person who's ready. And I've gone out to the protest because I have children 
who demand in their own way that I go out to protest. It might be um, a gentle, somewhat gentle, you know, how teenagers and, and 20 year olds can be, but it's like, okay, mom, we've got to do something about this because the young people are showing up very differently. Mm. And so Very I feel like we don't get to opt out. And so whenever I've spoken at protests, whether they've been predominantly white or, or really most of them have been predominantly white, mm-hmm. I, I really hold white people accountable. And I say, you don't get to opt out just because you can't. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't opt out of well, this. I tell you, it certainly has made a difference to see. I mean, just your heart, sw- I mean, as a black person, your heart swells that there's support. Yes. Um, that there's recognition. I mean, I'm so sorry it took those those eight minutes of George Floyd's life to to, to exemplify what happens every day in this nation. But it certainly has rallied the troops and the youth. It's just amazing. I saw a beautiful um, uh, uh, poster and it said that a young woman had gone to John Lewis and I can imagine she was a white woman and said, "How do I respectfully say to my parents I want to join this movement?" And he said, just tell them that you have been touched by the spirit of history. <laughs> and I said, oh my God, how can you not Gives me chills by CT and, and John Lewis, who passed in the same week? Yeah. Um, do you look at those things and say, that's God talking to us? That those are things that are just too ironic that they fought the fought and the good fight and then together walked over the, the pearly bridge together, you know? Um, at a time, at this time. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I saw someone, someone did a write-up just about that very thing Mm -hmm. because I think uh, Reverend CT died first and they said, I believe he just went and got Congressman Lewis and said, we fought the good fight. Let us go. I mean, it just brings up. And I, and I think a lot of that has to be when they looked over those crowds and they saw the young, the young, and they saw the white and they saw the brown and they saw everything that they had lived for, it was time to go. And that leaves us with such a responsibility, I think. Such, you know, if the church is gonna be, and I say church, but I say any house of worship is, if faith is gonna be relevant for people, and the, believe me, the numbers in mainline congregations across the country and in, in most faith groups have been declining for years. But if we're gonna continue to survive at all, we better be listening to those young people yeah. because that is the now. It's not even the future of the church. It's the now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being involved and listening. I remember in our local rally, it was the young people that then after the rally, we had an actually our, we have, you know, probably five or six houses of faith in town. And the priest at the Catholic church is African-American. And so he and I were kind of, we were the co-coordinators of this, but you know, and, and the rally was amazing and everything and that, but it was the young people afterwards that then stopped traffic out on the major road mm. and kept the police there for an hour and a half to say, okay, how are you going to make it different when I'm stopped by the police? Wow. You know, what, what are you going to be doing differently? And I give, I give the leaders credit in the town, the town supervisor, as well as the police for stopping and listening. And that's what we have to do too in our congregations. That's right. Wow. It's just, uh, it, it's amazing. I do believe, you know, and maybe that is my faith that there will be good things that come out of this. I do you too. Know, there will be, you know, and even if on an individual level, I think the three of us have discussed that it makes us step up our own gifts. It makes us step up our own leadership and to be there as part of the process, wherever this leads. But 
Um, what do you say to people who are who are looking for that? I mean, I mean, there's a lot of people out there who are unemployed. There are people who are sick. There are people whose husbands are leaving them. There are people whose kids are driving them crazy. I mean, there are people that we're going to hear a lot about suicide coming up. We're going to, you know, and we're going into this second thing. What do you say when you tell people to hold on, hold on to your faith? I don't know how I would get through half of the things in life if I didn't have faith. And I just pray people learn how to find it. How do you find faith? when it's dark and you don't have a match. Carolyn? Well, it's interesting because I've actually done a series of sermons on faith and, and I'm actually writing a book now on getting through unprecedented times with faith. And that's even if it's just faith that you've been called to a purpose, it's not about being in a church building and having to worship, you know, source there, however you define source. But for me, um, I'm a trained psychologist, and so I often use the psychological skills along with the spiritual skills to guide people through their next level. And so I've been really preaching to folks about mindset. You know, we've gone through difficult times before. Our ancestors, whatever your ancestors are, went through difficult times before, and they were able to get through. Your mindset determines how far you will go in life. So there are going to be some people who are going to come out of COVID and come out of this current experience, and they're going to be on top. They're going to be like, man, yeah. Exactly. Because they figured out how to shift, how to pivot. Folks have had to do this for, for all our history. They've had to figure out, how will I be the one that's on top? And so when I am talking to people about their faith, it's about changing that mindset and then saying to them, now, what's your next move going to be? Because it can't be sitting in the the grief, the depression, and all of that. Yes, feel it, be with it, have your moment with it, but don't stay there. That's right. And and, and wasn't that and the grave the greatest pivoter of all time, Kobe Bryant, had yeah. that Mamba mindset. And yeah. I and I think that I tell my reinventionists as they're looking for their next pivot, you know, that that you know the pivot allows us that 360 view to really look around and see, yeah, we're stuck in one place. But that doesn't mean we can't keep looking around at all the options we have. So I think, uh, yeah, that's um, that's that's a good. One. I, I do believe the mindset, and because also I, you know, I speak with I was speaking with a neurologist on this show and um, talking about the Mamba mindset and how you have to train your brain for change. This isn't a natural thing for us to be isolated and have to go through major changes. Yes. So Reverend Shannon, what do you tell people? How do you hold on to the faith when they think they can't find it? Well, you know, I'm also, I'm a person in long-term sobriety. So the whole 12-step program is a helpful thing for people to come to a sense of really where do you get your own power of releasing the things that have held you back, uh, personal transformation of, of going and making amends to people, and then really having, continuing on with the spiritual awakening. I really believe that this is a time that can call us to greater spiritual awakening. So I talk more, I think, I, I talk some about purpose. You know, so what is your purpose? If anything that this time is giving us in both pandemics, it's a thing to stop and look at, what are we here for? This is not a dress rehearsal. We are living life and we have the opportunity to create something and to be something and to serve in a different way and given that we are maybe stalled for a little bit in, in 
actually, I think it's a gift that we've been stopped in our tracks because it's made us have to stop and think versus go and act to activity or do go out to the bar and have that drink or whatever, or go to our relationship or whatever. But it's made people stop and have to say, okay, what am I about? What do I want my life to be about? How do I want to make a difference? And so that is kind of a springboard then into, you know, but doing the inner work so that you can do the outer work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very good. I, your, your congregations are in good hands. <laughs> I don't know if they'd always say that. I don't know you're doing. <laughs> you know, but it's just a soothing and good to hear this. You know, there's, so I am so not the person to say give up hope. I don't think, I don't even want to embrace giving up hope because you're right. There are too, and there are too many places to turn around and see how much good is being done. And people who oh, are nice. zooming. I mean, we're seeing people yeah. who are creating new careers under this this situation. And and you know, and I, as I tell my actor friends, all the casting directors are home. Get on to get on <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it's we're just, all trying to survive. Go on, Shane. Can I just tell you how technology? How I saw the gift of technology in this last week. So, it, uh, one of my congregants, who's you know early sixties, was diagnosed just a month ago with pancreatic cancer. And he's now, you know, end of life, just in a, in a short month. And so the other day I went in, I went over to the house and we had communion with his two adult children and his wife by the bed. And then four families from around the world joined us on Zoom for a celebration of the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. And it was just, it was so great. I would never have thought of that before this time before you know bringing and bringing that in but it just it allowed over time and space to be able to connect in a way that we wouldn't have thought of before so there's some there's some things that can be counted as you know as good things even in the midst of this time i think also stopping the activity um you know i will say that a lot of people have gone to different things destructive things to help them get through but i think you know and i think and you too and certainly tarlin you would know um, as we're coming out of this, I think we're going to be in more of a mental health crisis, you know, as people kind of try to make sense out of all of it. But, you know, so we're trying to attend to the mental health needs, but that's, you know, technology has been helpful in some ways, and yet it's also that false, it can be a false connector, sense of connectivity. Yeah, but I, I agree with you. I found, you know, I had a birthday and all of us are going to go did. through a birthday this year <laughs> under quarantine. But I found that, you know, I, instead of having a big party, I would, I would have celebrate with one or two people or social distance, but I got to have really quality time with people that meant a lot to me that I would have never gotten to talk to at a party. So it, I think it does kind of, um, it, it, it makes you look at things differently. And a lot of us are saying, I don't need half of the stuff I've got. You know, so I don't true. need, there's so much I don't need is what we're finding too. So I think we're going to come out lean, mean, and, and, um, and, and. I don't know about lean. Maybe not lean. As soon as I said that, I was like, you know, you're not talking about yourself with that COVID-15. <laughs> and believe me, as you get older, like, Ro, you and I are in the same age group. Uh, I won't, I won't add Tara Lynn in that, but it's harder to come off too. I'm <laughs> telling you, I'm running true. hills, but it's like, woo. I said, you know what? I said, now I've got a muffin top. I've never eaten a muffin in my life. How did I get a muffin? I got to live with one for the rest. <laughs> Keeping oh, it real, Ralph. 
This has been a real joy to speak with you. And you know something, I, I look at you, both of you, and the marvelous work that you do as essential work as well. And so I thank you for, for being with the congregation when you could be at home in a mask and safe and out there in the movements when you can be at home and, and safe and you the, 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 the risks we take, the sacrifices we make for the things that we do and love and the people. And I thank you so much for everything. Anything else? And Rolanda, you, you do that too. You, you give people a lot of hope. I mean, through your posts and through your podcasts and through all of your work, you're always upbeat. I want to thank you for that. Thank yeah. you. I'm and trying really, to. And you're helping people to reinvent themselves so that they don't stay in a mindset of, woe is me. And, exactly. you know, I, I appreciate the thanks, but, but I feel like for me, there's no other choice because I think about people like Harriet Tubman, who I think was enslaved either for 25 or 30 years, but still maintain hope. So for me, when I'm talking to people and preaching to people, or when I just feel tired, like I don't want to do this anymore. I know. Uh, it's like, girl, <laughs> you gotta get up. You know, you look at John Lewis, whose skull was cracked on a bridge that he crossed back over. I mean, it's just like, who are these people? And it's like, you can be those people. I'm not you want you to get your head cracked, but if you're committed to something so much, um, and now's the time. You're right. Now's the time to batten down the hatches and make those decisions and those commitments and intentions. That's and it's not to say that it's not going to be hard on some days and that you won't want to give up, but it's the broader vision that keeps us going. That's right. right. And, and That's I think right. our connectedness with spirit and sacred too, that, that helps us to understand that we are more than just these shells that we're in. We are spiritual beings who are all very much interconnected. Look at the three of us being so interconnected here right now. Who that knew? is so crazy. <laughs> and for those of you who tuned in late, this is, look at the connection. It's like the Brady Bunch here. <laughs> Shannon and I grew up together. We, we went to high school at 13. Um, and I can attest to all of the hard work. I mean, Shan's mom, Ellen, was one of the first feminists we ever met. She, Their family were very much progressive. And, and so, yeah. I'm a dad. Yeah, well, the girls. Yeah. But um, it makes sense to see you do what you do. And, and especially in race relations, um, you have always been in the forefront of that. And it's just amazing. And then, and then Terrilyn, I met in India, y'all. In <laughs> India. <laughs> I went to go give a speech at the National Peace Summit and then studied meditation on the top of Mount Abu with the Brahma Kumaras for 10 days. And I could not have gotten through it without Terrilyn as one of my buddies to turn to. <laughs> No, Caroline and I know each other through that. the Presbytery. Yeah. Yeah. And we knew each other, and it was just so ironic. She she says, Well, how do you know, Ro? And I'm like, oh, That's so, so crazy. It, it shows how spiritually we we all are connected. And I think that that's what helps us get through the pandemic is yeah. really just reaching out to one another and saying, yes. If I survive this, you survive it, you know, in whatever ways possible. And to know that death. Is not the end of us because that's true. There's something much more. That's very true. Well, we we will keep this going. And uh, ladies, once again, thank you so much. Tell the audience where they can reach you and follow your great works. Go ahead, Carolyn. Uh, well, I can be reached at sacredintelligence.com or you can send an email to me at info at sacredintelligence.com. 
can find me on Facebook under Terrilyn Curry Avery, um, as well as Sacred Intelligence. And I'm on Facebook at under Shannon A. White. Um, I, my website's not up anymore, but my two books are on Amazon. It's um, The Invisible Conversations with Your Aging Parents and, and How Was School Today Fine. <laughs> How to talk to your aging teenagers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, ladies, thank you so much. I'll thank make sure you. that all the information is out about you. And thank you so much for this very Thanks, open bro. and supportive and encouraging conversation. Keep hope alive and hold on to the faith, baby. Stay thank healthy and safe and wear that mask. And wear <laughs> your mask, absolutely. <laughs> you guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Rolanda On Demand. You can follow me every day of the week at Rolanda Watts, R-O-L-O-N-D-A, on all forms of social media. If you want to listen to the podcast, hit me up wherever you love podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, all of them. And continue here on YouTube on the Rolanda Watts channel. And tell a friend if you enjoyed it, rate it well, leave a review, and let your tribe know. And keep the faith. Now, go out there with a mask or stay right there at home and stay safe, but do something good. Have a great day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.